The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture reading is from Acts 21, 17 through 36. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to, to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took them in, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple." Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I invite you to keep your Bibles open or open them on your phone so that way we can follow along and worship together. I'm going to pray for the Lord's help one more time. Lord, these types of moments are holy moments when we break some of the monotony, the the ho-hum, the regularity of things that we know, and we do something different. We worship you underneath the blazing Son, that is a reminder of your glory and your majesty that you want to shine forth. And we're just asking that in this moment that you would give us grace on the green and that this might be a 
moment in the life of our church that would have ripple effects throughout Nashville and the nations, Father, that you would begin a work today that we would look back on 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years in the future, look back on and say, the Lord met us here. And I was going this way, and you sent me a different way. Would you do that, Lord? Would you come and meet us in ways that would be unique as we cry out to you and ask you to come and meet us, Father, over this text, that we'd be able to worship you over this text, and we would see new glory, new insight, and seeing your glory and majesty on display, we would be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. So help us, Lord, knowing that without you, all of this is in vain. We entreat you and lay this at your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. So what are you living for? What's the thing that you want to be remembered for when you have no more life to live? What's the great passion of your life? What's the thing that you're willing to lay down your life for and maybe even more pointedly, what's the thing that you would suffer for? For the Apostle Paul, it was the planning of churches where there were no churches. He made it his life's ambition to find people who had never heard the name of Jesus, go there, proclaim to them, and then have a church started. That's all he wanted to do with his life. And it's just a testimony of God's grace that that was the ambition of his life because that is not where he wanted to be on the road to Damascus. Instead of wanting to start churches, he wanted to stamp out churches and Christians. And rather than proclaiming that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, he wanted to deny that Jesus was the Messiah. But grace broke into his life, and he's got a new ambition, a new passion. Paul's great passion was the advancement of the gospel where Christ had not been named. Therefore, Paul submitted and suffered to magnify God among the nations. That's the theme of our text this morning. And I want you to see it in three different parts of our text. I want you to see how Paul showed God's work among the nations in verse 19. I want you to see how Paul submitted to those in leadership in verse 26. And then I want you to see how Paul suffered for the sake of the church in verse 32. Paul believed that the church was suffering for, and he was willing, able, and um, happy even to lay down his life for the church. So first, let's see how Paul showed God's work among the nations. Look at verse 19 again. It says that after greeting them, he, Paul, related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. So what I want you to notice first, that, that Paul's passion wasn't something that he could do on his own. Did you see it? 
He related one by one the things that God had done, done among the, the Gentiles through his ministry. So he went to places where there were no Christians. Then the gospel was proclaimed. And then a church was started. How did that happen? That's God. And so Paul just wanted to say over and over again, here's what God has done. So don't dream small dreams, Christ Presbyterian Church. Don't dream dreams that you can do on your own, that we can do in our own might. If it's a dream that we can do in our own might, it's not a dream that's worth being dreamed, and it's not one that honors and glorifies the Lord. Remember the words of William Carey, the missionary to India, who said, Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Paul's impossible human task was the preaching of the gospel among all the nations. And you can see that in verse 19, this phrase, among the Gentiles. Among the Gentiles in verse 19 is just a placeholder for among the nations in the New Testament. So most often when you see among the Gentiles or the Gentiles, you should be thinking, is he talking about a specific nation or is he talking about all the nations? Because Paul, he, he viewed the world in two different categories. There were the Jews who were born in Israel, and then there were the Gentiles who were born everywhere else outside of Israel. So Paul was able to stand in the heart of Jerusalem and then look out in any direction past Israel's borders and say, there is a nation that we have to go to because they don't worship Jesus. They don't know Jesus. And he saw the need and he moved toward it because he knew that they didn't know that there was a Jesus who offered to live the life of perfect obedience that God requires. They didn't know that Jesus offered on the cross to die the death for the sin that they had. They didn't know that that was available to them if they turned from their sin, they turned to Jesus, they received Jesus as Lord, Savior, and treasure. They hadn't heard the gospel. And Paul looked around and said, if there's no one to go, I'll go because the Lord's sending me. And that hasn't changed. 134 million sheikh in Bangladesh with 0.0 of them being Christians. It doesn't even tally. 0.000000 Christians. Or 59 million Turks in Turkey, 0.01% Christian. Or the Brahmin in India, another 58.8 million with 0.0 Christians. With no one there who can take the gospel to them because there are no Christians. So very few Christians, they can't reach them. And we get to enjoy 76.6% of people in America identifying as Christian with us. Paul looked outside of Jerusalem and he saw no one worshiping Jesus. And so it moved him. John Piper points out that the point of missions is this. 
Missions exist because worship doesn't. And Paul was moved because he knew that they weren't worshiping Jesus. Therefore, they had no chance of being satisfied in Jesus. Now, in this text, I don't know if you, if you paid attention when it was being read, we don't, we don't hear from Paul in his own words. We have kind of this summary statement, and then we see what happened to Paul. And next week, Todd is going to pick back up, and we're going to hear Paul in his own words respond to what's happening. So I don't have that text this morning, the, the text that I was assigned, assigned. So what I want to do is I want you to hear Paul's words and then lay those on top of what we're seeing in the book of Acts. So I want you to kind of keep your place in Acts, and we're going to turn to Romans 15, and we'll go back to Romans a little bit later in the sermon. So it's good just to kind of have those ready if you're going to follow along in your Bibles. So Romans 15 sounds a lot like our text. Paul says in his own words, In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Now, that's just a remarkable, even brass statement by Paul, that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, that he has no more work to be done. Because that's from Jerusalem all the way to almost Italy. So here's the boot of Italy, and so we're talking about Croatia, Bosnia, Albania. We're talking about a thousand miles. And Paul saying, I have no more work to be done here. I've got to go beyond this where people have never heard. I mean, that's like saying from Nashville to Montreal, there are no other people to be reached. What he had in mind there is, I've been planting churches along the way. And I'm expecting these churches to evangelize and to spread and to plant other churches. So that way, the work of evangelism, I'm leaving to the church. But the work of missions, I'm going on beyond Italy to Rome, to Spain. To go where no one, no one else was going, toward the need that was greatest, where the darkness was the darkest. That's a great ambition. And I want you to be like Paul. God wants to do a, a work through you that only you can do. He created you and he saved you so that way people would hear you tick off thing after thing after thing that God has done through you and they glorify God for you. That's the reason why you're here on earth. And for Paul, he left his home, he left his friends, he left his family to go to the nations so that a church could be started in Galatia and Corinth and Philippi and Laodicea and Crete and Ephesus and Thessalonica. He wanted to see Jesus exalted among the nations, people worshiping where there had been no worship, and so Paul showed God's work among the nations, planting new churches.
That's the first thing I want you to see. Paul showed God's work among the nations. Second thing that I want you to see is Paul submitted to those in leadership. Look at verse 20, Acts 21. When they had heard it, his report, they glorified God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. So Paul, who has been ministering among the nations, is now back in Jerusalem. And the question I have did his work among the nations make him love Jerusalem less? Did his love for the nations make him care less about local evangelism or the church nationally? And the answer is no. You can see this in the text. If he's got a heart for the nations and he's involved in church splitting among the nations, why is he submitting to the elders of the the church in Jerusalem. I mean, the church in Jerusalem is not even his sending church. That's the church in Antioch. So why is he submitting to these elders? And it's because of his love for Christ and his majesty that he doesn't want his life to be a distraction to those in Jerusalem. He cared for the church in Jerusalem. And if you heard the end of the story, this is going to end painfully for him. The fact that he, he submitted to the leaders, it cost him something. Hey, we're going to see that in the last point. But Paul knew that when he came to Jerusalem, he wasn't just submitting to the leaders. He was also submitting to the Holy Spirit. As Paul comes down the, the coast toward Jerusalem, he stops in Caesarea. And the believers there would plead with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So if you're in Acts 21, just let your eyes go up to, to Acts 10 and hear what happened just before our text. While we were staying there for many days, it says, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the, Jew, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the people there urged them not to go to Jerusalem, right? Don't go there. They're going to capture you. And then Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I'm not ready. I'm, I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Why risk it? Why go to Jerusalem? It's because of what the Holy Spirit said there. The Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Paul's got to stand before kings and emperors. And so... He's going to go get himself arrested, and then he's going to go to Rome on the Roman dime. They're going to pay for his mission trip, and he's going to be able to preach the gospel to the officers in Rome. 
He wants to reach Gentiles, to reach kings. There's another reason why he wanted to go to Jerusalem. His desire to reach the Gentiles does not lessen his love for the, his fellow Jews in Jerusalem. So back in Romans, this time Romans 9, I want you to hear him lay out his heart for his fellow Jews. And I don't want you thinking that the nations was hindering his love for his, his local people. This is what he said in Romans 9, verses 1 through 5. It's going, to be, it's going to be so strong that he has to begin like this. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. Because what I'm about to say is going to make you think that I'm lying and I'm not. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Did you catch that? I, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. You think he doesn't love his fellow Jews? He just said, if it were possible, it's not possible. That's why I'm saying if it were possible, I would rather go to hell than for them to go to hell. I'd rather be accursed in their place. I would rather be cut off for, from Christ. Oh yeah, he loves the Jews. But then he keeps going on and saying what the Jews have. They are Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And the Gentiles have none of that. None of it. And it's theirs in Christ if I can just get this to them. So James, the Lord's called you to Jerusalem. I'll, I'll submit. I don't want to be a stumbling block to them. But I want the benefits of Christ to go beyond Jerusalem to the nations. So Paul submits to the leaders in Jerusalem out of love for the global church. And can you see how this love for the nations, it just expands Paul's heart. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Because would you say I was loving if I love myself and not others? No, if I loved my family and not other families, if I loved my church and not other churches, if I loved Christians and not the lost, if I cared about my nation and not all nations, am I loving? But if we flip that, I care and love all nations not just my nation. I care about the loss and love the loss, not just Christians. I care about other churches, not just my church. I care about other families, not just my family. I care about others, not just me. You know that the more we love, the more 
others feel loved by us. And I may love the nations and I can't get to the nations and so I'll love the person right in front of me because my love knows no boundaries. And that's what Paul experienced. He laid down his heart and his mind and his soul and his body in order to love them so that way they can see Jesus. Paul's motivation for submitting to the elders of the church in Jerusalem was love. And his love for the nations enabled him to love everyone around him. And he wants them to see Jesus. Not the misconceptions that Paul might bring about Jesus. He wanted them to see Jesus. And therefore, out of love, Paul suffered for the sake of the church. Paul listened to the elders in Jerusalem. He took the men who were being purified, and then he entered in the temple. And now we're going to pick up in verse 30. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together, and they seized Paul, dragging him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut, and as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion, and he at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them, and when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. And then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. And some of the crowds were shouting one thing and some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him! So why do you think that Paul thought the church was worth suffering for. He went to Jerusalem to suffer. And who does that sound like? I'm going I'm to go to Jerusalem because I have appointed suffering there for the church. It sounds like Jesus who set his face toward Jerusalem, and even though Peter tried to talk him out of it, he wouldn't be talked out of it, because he had a cross before him. So it might be good just to figure out, how did, how did Jesus approach his suffering? What was, the, what was the motivation behind the cross? What was he looking for through the cross? A text come to mind? Looking to Jesus, the author, the founder, and perfecter of our faith, who for the, can somebody tell me what the next word is? Who for the what set before him? What was it? Joy set before him. Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus looked through the cross, and on the other hand, on the other side, he saw the glory of the Father and the Father being pleased with him and a people for God's own possession. And he said, yes, that's what I'm seeking. That's the source of my happiness. That's what I want. And I will go through the cross to get it. And Paul was no different. So why was Paul able to suffer for the church globally and the church in Jerusalem. It was for joy. He was seeking joy. His happiness was based on others joining him. 
in their worship of Jesus. Paul found that Jesus was the satisfaction for the reward-longing heart that he had and that when others worshiped Jesus with him, it increased Paul's joy. And so the more people saw Jesus and loved Jesus and worshiped Jesus, the more happy Paul was. His joy increased and that's why he suffered. He wanted others to see Jesus in his suffering and that's what he said in the book of Colossians. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what's lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is the church. This makes me happy in my suffering because, Colossians, the afflictions of Christ are lacking for you. Because you were in Colossae and you didn't see Christ being beaten on your behalf and being crucified on your behalf. And so God has commissioned me to go to Colossae and I suffer. You see me suffering and why? It's because it's Christ suffering in my body. I want you to see Jesus and the suffering that he has for you so that way you might believe in Christ through me and be satisfied in Jesus and join with me in seeking our satisfaction in Jesus. God used the pain of Paul to show the Colossians the love of Christ. And suffering, our suffering, is meant to show Jesus through you. I, I wish that I could tell you that the Christian life didn't cost you everything. But to be with Jesus, unless he returns, we have to go to Jesus and we have to lay aside everything. Even this body that I've lived in for decade after decade after decade. It's going to cost us everything to go to be with Jesus. I wish I could promise you that there was no suffering in this life. I wish I could say what Paul couldn't say. That if you follow leaders, they'll never let you down. Or if you love the church, you'll never get hurt. But Paul couldn't say that from this text. I wish I could tell you that your health would never decline. That your friends would never forsake you. That this life would satisfy you. And that death would never touch you or the people around you. I'd love to be able to say that. But that's just not true. The Christian life begins with a cross. Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But I want you to hear what's on the other end of the pain. You don't have to go looking for pain. It's going to come finding you because it's been ordained by our Father to show Christ. But I want you to see there's something else on the other side of the pain when it comes. That it's bearing the cross that makes our life meaningful to the people around us. That it's in that moment of bearing the cross when God uses us 
And it's that moment when Jesus, Jesus satisfy us, satisfies us. So when we're conformed to the image of Christ, we're conformed to the life of Christ. Jesus' life is crucifixion and resurrection. And some days your, your life is going to look like resurrection glory. And it's going to be beautiful. And there's going to be food trucks and the sun is going to be shining. There's going to be fireworks. And enjoy him in it. And then there are going to be other days where there's grief and there's groaning. Your, your life looks like the crucifixion. And God's in the midst of both of them. We can enjoy him today and not have any idea what's coming tomorrow, but knowing that he's going to be in the midst of whatever comes tomorrow. Any pain on the path of following Jesus is pain that has been lovingly measured out by our Heavenly Father, so that way your life looks like Jesus. And if the great passion of your life is for those around you to see Jesus, then you will be able to rejoice even in the middle of the pain and the suffering, knowing that what they see is the life of Jesus. They would even see it through your suffering. So that's the secret that Paul had to suffering for the church. The church is worth suffering for, so that way Christ is exalted among the nations. Let's pray together. So, Father, we desperately need you to just blow away the small dreams and aspirations that we have for this church, for this neighborhood, for all of our neighborhoods, for this nation, for all of the nations, Father. Just blow away the small aspirations that we have and do a work today so that way years from now the testimony will be I'm in India because I found grace on the green one day at Christ Presbyterian and the Lord changed the trajectory of my life do it father whether it takes us five minutes to come there five years to come there whatever it takes father Come and help us to dream a dream that's worthy of you, Father, you, Son, and you, Holy Spirit. That's why we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.